welcome to season two, episode four of the Mind Body Evolution podcast. Today's episode is slightly dense, so I asked Dr. Stout to give me a little introduction to what the episode was going to be about, and I surreptitiously recorded it, which is why at the end he says, let's get this recording going. Anyway, what follows is Dr. Stout's introduction, followed by our regular podcast. Enjoy. We were talking about last week, I wanted to sort of continue into last week's. We were talking about how resources and um, environment can change how gender roles work. Uh, both, uh, you know, from from monogamy to polygamy, or from uh, you know, there is there is there is you know the the, the baboons and how they change their society mm-hmm. relation to to mm-hmm. to, to, to resources, mm-hmm. um, and then connect that to the way we've seen uh, the binary of gender from the period of the caves through, say, the Middle Ages, looking at things like. Um, uh, the demiurgos and alchemy and the nature of of binaries in alchemy and then alchemy the project of alchemy trying to bring genders together into this unified whole um and uh how the project of um certainly the church in the middle ages was trying to separate uh anything female from the, from the divine and that there was the, the, the these been these tensions for a long time um, and how, uh, what was this, um, sort of primary creative force in the Greeks, the Demiurgos, uh, it was a creative force for good became a creative force for evil by the middle ages. So basically what you're, I mean, your, your, your high concept would be the immutable doesn't exist. Yeah, no, things are immutable, at, but there, but there's like, there's only certain ways to think about things. Any, any, anything that you think is unchangeable, eventually will be proven. Will change. Kind of change, but not necessarily in time, and not necessarily for the good. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, hopefully, we're heading in a good direction now. Uh, you know, and makes that you feel, changing makes things. you feel like makes you feel like you know chaos reigns. Well, that's the, that's the, that was what the whole group, the whole purpose of it was was trying to organize out of the chaos. Certainly, what the Greeks thought about. But it, we should start recording before we get to it. Today is Friday, January twenty sixth. Uh, this is uh, episode four of season two. Amazing. Hi, Josh. Hi, Eric. So. Title today was really long. It was a long title, yeah. So I, I was, I was thinking about um, what we talked about last week with the Barbie movie and uh, gender roles in general, uh, and you know, primate mating systems, and how um, we're we're entering a period of sort of flux in uh, human gender roles, and that uh, often the people who are um, sort of reactionary against this. Uh, like to say, well, biology is binary and biology is fixed. And I, I, I've been thinking uh, about that and how um, within biology, there is absolutely uh, flux within uh, uh, gender roles. And there are times when uh, inflexible gender roles can lead to, uh, to, to problems. Um, and so I'm going to sort of start off with some stories within biology, but then I want to get into uh, how how our our notion of uh, divinity and our relation with uh, the spiritual world has been gendered for a very long time, uh, and the the way gender roles within within our uh, sort of evolution of cultural consciousness have have changed over time. All right. Uh, so. Uh, I was thinking about uh, killer whales. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and uh, killer whales are like us. They have uh, culture. Uh, they have uh, culture that uh, um, can determine their uh, approach to resource acquisition. Uh, and so in the Pacific Northwest, there are two major different uh, killer whale populations. One of them is hunting uh, sea lions and other marine mammals, uh, you know, w- wouldn't say no to a beluga whale. 
Uh, and the other one is uh, our salmon specialists. And they haven't interbred for uh, a million years or so. Uh, they are they are completely separate populations. One, one population will eat a whole bunch of different things, and another one will just eat salmon. Any salmon you want. They're fish eaters, all right. But the f- big fish that are in that area are salmon. Mm-hmm. But they they're not going to say determine which salmon they're eating. Okay. And the other ones are going to eat any marine mammal, but not a salmon. So they, they've become specialists. They know mm-hmm. what they're doing. They have a culture that enables them to do this. Uh, they have a culture based on their on their resources. Uh, and the uh, uh, their, their, the culture based on the resources uh, that uh, is focusing on salmon uh, has not been doing very well because uh, salmon stocks have been going down. Uh, it's a it's a little bit uh, further south uh, uh, group, so they've been impacted by uh, global warming pretty badly. So the uh, Pacific Northwest uh, population of orcas uh, is, is dependent on salmon and is in decline. And uh, one of the reasons has to do with their uh, cultural uh, uh, stereotypical gender roles. Uh, a large bull male orca is much bigger than the females. Uh, so much like uh, a... a, a uh, silverback gorilla or uh, some of these other uh, mammals where you see uh, males fighting each other for access to the females. And if you're a big male lion and you're twice the size of the females, everything's about fighting the other lions to access to the females. Uh, And male lions also very stereotypical gender roles. They work with uh, the females to uh, get prey, but it's mostly the females that do all the actual prey because the males are simply too big to hunt them down. And this is something that genetically works. As long as the females get more food for that male lion, they will spread the genes around by having offspring and being successful. So in these orcas, what has happened is uh, the male orcas are too big to catch salmon. And uh, their, uh, their mothers take care of them. So we'd uh, understood that uh, menopause was something that uh, was rare in the animal kingdom. You want to have babies for as long as you can in your life. Uh, And in uh, anthropology, human evolutionary theory, the idea was that menopause allowed older, uh, sort of a matriarch of a family to take care of the younger babies. And there was decent evidence that if even in the modern world, if a um, mother lived near her mother, uh, her offspring would have a larger chance of survival, even in the modern world, survival, like really mm-hmm. cut and dried stuff. Mm-hmm. If, if the mother lived within 50 miles of her mother, that there was, there was a, there was a major effect that was measurable. You know, Amazing. you had to look at a lot of people to find it. Cause yeah, it's yeah. not like everyone who doesn't live with their mother, babies die. Right. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a, it's a tiny actual effect, but it's measurable and, it, it's, and it's real. Yeah. Um, and so that was our understanding of, of, of where menopause had come from, that it was this evolutionary technique to have uh, older women stop paying attention to their own babies, but make grandchildren, basically. And, and, and this was an evolutionary advantage. Uh, and what the, um, what the uh, killer whales are doing is uh, their mothers get to the point where they're too old to have babies. They go through menopause unlike almost every other species. And it's interesting that this one is happening in one of the few species out there with culture, uh, with traditions, right? So these, these, um, these orcas are singing songs to each other. They have languages, they communicate. And their songs- I was gonna ask, how do we know this? You answered that question yeah, immediately. And, and their songs are different from the other groups, the ones yeah. that don't, that don't hunk, hunk salmon. They, they have their own traditions, they have their own culture. And uh, when a, um, female orca is no longer able to have babies, she's taking care of her adult son who can't hunt for himself very successfully because the uh, the salmon just are too, um, they can turn too quickly. And yeah, while they're, a, much, they're much more agile. They're much more agile. A big bull orca can outrace a salmon but can't outturn it. So the yeah. salmon will always get away. And so what happens is, is uh, his mother will go along, catch a salmon, bite off the, the head for him, and then leave the body floating out behind at, for the son to pick up. So he's basically, she's basically like cutting the crusts off his, 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 his bread. <laughs> um, but she's doing this because this enables her to have a successful reproducing son who's bigger than all the other sons and is able to spread her genes further on. 
So evolution has uh, favored this cultural adaptation. Uh, other orcas go through menopause but are not required in the same way. This survived in this particular culture because they were hunting salmon and, and the big bulls couldn't, couldn't compete. They would have had to hunt something else. Yeah. Uh, and in this particular culture, um, it worked because the mothers were then able to pass on their own genes by protecting their sons and having their sons be reproductively uh, successful. However, as um, the salmon stocks have gone down, uh, as it's becoming more and more difficult, now we have these sons that are completely dependent upon their mothers. When their mothers die, the sons die usually within a year. Uh, even though they are still middle-aged, they're not able to fend for themselves well enough to survive. They starve to death. They end up starving to death, usually within a year of their mothers dying. And their mothers can live to 60, 80 years old. So this gets them into their 50s and 60s, but still they 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 they, they don't survive. Amazing. They are dependent their entire lives. And this is entirely a cultural thing that they have built for themselves, but they've reached a dead end. They can't switch into another mechanism because their 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 gender stereotypes are so fixed in this particular thing. They would have to switch to a new resource and they don't have the cultural wherewithal to understand how to do that. Everything they do in their lives is about hunting salmon. Everything is about the salmon. They can't choose a different path. They've been on this path for a million years now. They have very strict gender stereotypes and without something changing in their culture, they can't get out of this dead end they've reached for themselves. And so I was thinking about that in relation to human gender stereotypes that we often start associating the way we are as being an absolute situation. Uh, and we could get ourselves into a dead end if we're not careful. In we, are, the, we, are, we are often told that that is the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Is, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, and that um, flexibility is something that is uh, uh, built into culture, right? You don't have to actually have a genetic change. You could just change it by teaching your children differently. Uh, but because we often see these things as biologically absolute, we don't realize that they're amenable to, to, to cultural differences. Uh, and that um, in the natural world, these are usually based on, on resources. But we now live in a world where with, with, in many ways, abundant resources, in other ways, limited resources, uh, things like university positions or good jobs. These are limited resources or apartments. These are all limited resources in the world we've created. It's not because they're limited in an absolute way. We've created an artificial limit to them. And so this is in many ways driving the way our culture works. Um, you know, there is no limit to the number of apartments we could build, but we only build as many as we need, I guess. And what need is always sort of at the maximum right. level. Need, well, it's always pressed. Right. Need is so I wanted to talk a little bit about question. exactly yeah I wanted to talk a little bit about um, how uh, we've related to gender roles within human culture really right from the very beginning um, the first people who are trying to understand in a larger sense what cave paintings were and not just that's a painting of a horse right you could understand everyone gets that part but why is there a painting of a horse there why is there a mammoth what are these things for. Um, and the sort of the two competing ideas were it was either hunting magic uh, or it was about gender. Uh, and so there was one person who, in my opinion, probably um, overly determined what everything was. But he did, looked at every cave painting and said it was either male or female and divided everything into this very strict binary of uh, iconography. Uh, and while I think he was doing this a little bit too much, I don't think he was completely wrong. I think he, people were trying to get at what are these gender binaries? How do they work together in the natural world? They were trying to understand themselves in many ways. Uh, so they would build these things that were clearly an amalgam of male and female joined together, showing male and female power interacting. The, mm -hmm. the, 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 the minotaur and the lioness was mm -hmm. the classic one that I've mentioned before. Mm -hmm. uh, together forming almost a, a yin-yang kind of shape. Uh, that they, they understood these as, as uh, a dualistic, but unified uh, and with blending between the two. There, there was no hard line mm -hmm, between the two. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, this idea, I think, gave rise to, in later cultures, much of our understanding of religion, of goddesses, of gods, how they relate to each other. You have, you have the, the male and the female, the sky and the earth, 
the, the water and the shore, all of these things where you have mixing of two things coming together creates the offspring, the, the creation. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is something that's very deep in our understanding like of biology. Right, exactly, of, of, of binaries coming together and in the mixing creating something new, right? This is how children happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so these are the kinds of things that we think of as absolute, but they are by no means um, outside of our culture and culture can definitely change. Uh, so these things came out of the caves, became more formalized religion. Uh, at first, you would have had um, goddesses uh, and gods uh, uh, having their own domains, but sometimes one would steal from the other. So Inanna stole the codes for civilization uh, from the sun god and actually took them to herself. And she had symbols like the owl that we later see in Athena. Uh, so all of these things were flexible. She divided almost into two separate goddesses, the goddess of love and the goddess of, of uh, wisdom and technology that became Athena, who, by the way, was a virgin, right? The Parthenos. Mm -hmm. Parthenos means virgin. The Parthenon to, to uh, Athena was the place of the virgin. Uh, so this we started to separate the idea of the, 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 the sex goddess and the goddess who doesn't have sex. And that became really important in our culture. The idea of this goddess not having sex it became Mary, became uh, a, a lot of this non-reproductive female version. But in the, uh, the original uh, idea of the beginning of everything uh, in, uh, in both uh, Greek and uh, Egyptian thought, there was this sort of unmixed whole that gave rise to the divisions between everything. And this was often seen as, um, if not uh, feminine, at least a mixture of feminine and male. It was not a male god sticking out his finger and saying, let there be light. This was... A, the, a, the Tao? It was like before the Tao, the thing that came, the thing that the Tao came from, mm -hmm. uh, or, or in, in, uh, um, I really don't know that much about Hinduism, but, uh, the, 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 the breath that gives rise to Brahma, the mm -hmm. thing before the division, mm -hmm. before even the thing that gets divided, mm -hmm. the, 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 the first thing, and that, that was what Plato called the Demiurgos. It was mm -hmm. the thing that starts everything. Uh, Aristotle's uh, prime mover. The thing that, you know, you've got a whole bunch of your dominoes set up. What pushes the first domino over? Gets everything going. Uh, the very beginning. The, the, the universe before the universe, which you can't talk about because there is no before time. That, 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 that thing, whatever that is, was the demiurgos. Turtles. It's turtles all the way down. But if it's not turtles all the way down, there has to be a thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so the demiurgos was... Um, what created order out of chaos. It created the cosmos. Cosmos has the same roots as cosmetics, making beauty. Uh, chaos was the, the, the sea of um, undifferentiated uniformity in modern cosmology. It's uh, uh, essentially what, what, what there is before um, uh, the Higgs boson field gives everything its individuality. Mm -hmm. It's this Nice. See of everything nice. that you then get differentiations from. Uh, and so this was what was coming out of Neoplatonism, is this idea of uh, the organization of the cosmos is what brings order and beauty to everything. And it's part of what uh, natural philosophers are there to do, to understand the universe and bring order and, and, and beauty to everything. Uh, in uh, in uh, Egyptian thought, um, there was this first undivided god of magic, uh, uh, Heka, which mean, meant um, activated bodily energy, which is interesting. So Chi, he basically was Chi. Mm -hmm. And he represented um, what happens when opposites come together and create energy. Uh, so we understand this today in physics. You know, you, 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 need, you need a plus and a minus to have actually energy happen. You have to have the top of the hill and the bottom of the hill or you don't have any energy potential. Mm. So he was energy potential before anything happened, which is why you don't hear about him a lot in, uh, in Egyptian uh, religion because he's just assumed. He, never, he did, doesn't get drawn much. He doesn't get represented much. Uh, just has to be there. He just has to be there. He's before Ra. He's before all of this stuff. Hmm. Uh, he's, What's he's, the name again? 
Hekka. He's, 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 he's the, the male and the female. He's activated bodily energy. Your Ka is your spirit. So your Ka is what, um, uh, you know, is, is, is trying to be preserved when you're making a mummy and burying someone under a pyramid. Hekka is the activated Ka. So it, again, it's sort of, sort of like Chi. It's these opposites that have come together. But when they're split apart again, then you get male and female, you get all these potentials. Uh, and in, in Egyptian stuff, everything was always mixed and then always splitting and always splitting into uh, humans and animals, males and females, night and day, et cetera. All of these things were, 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 were together and then splitting and together and splitting. This became uh, the Egyptian holy family. It became, uh, it became Hathor and Horus, it became, Egypt, uh, sorry, Isis and Horus. Isis basically is Hathor in many ways. Hathor has the, uh, has the uh, horns of the, of the cow. Mm, mm. Isis also has the horns of the cow. Uh, Hathor was the, the house of Horus, uh, what means where Horus came from essentially was where the name Hathor comes from. Isis is the mother of Horus. Horus is the infant child who represents the coming together of the male and the female. And then the infant child is the actualization of this coming together to make this infant child. Um, uh, this was then represented in um, Greek mythology because Greeks didn't completely get the Egyptians. They were really into them, but they, 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 they weren't, they didn't always understand where all these myth mythologies were coming from. So they started trying to build their own secret mysteries. This would be where we get uh, Orphic mysteries, the idea of resurrection. So the Osiris resurrection happening is then copied in the uh, uh, resurrection of uh, Dionysus in the Orphic mysteries. Um, Dionysus is wrapped inside the Orphic egg, this very beginning, divides into two things. So this, this became the idea of things being wrapped into a cohesive whole, and then emerging from something as it hatched, hatching from the egg. And we see this over and over again in, in, in uh, Greek religion. In, um, when the Greeks tried to take uh, these concepts of this infant Horus uh, being uh, the actualized version of male and female coming together, um, they then turned him into this new god, uh, Harpocrates, the god of secrets. Uh, because in Egyptian uh, uh, hieroglyphics, uh, the, the hieroglyphic for child is finger over the lips. And uh, the Greeks saw that as a secret. I don't like the way this is going. Things, well, things get a little weird for a while. Uh -huh. um, and so uh, Harpocrates was the infant that saw Aphrodite and uh, Eros getting together. Um, and it was had to be kept a secret under the rose, sub rosa, meant the, the thing everything was hidden over. And so Hippocrates became the holder of the secret of these two forces, Eros and love, being joined together, which was forbidden because in their case, it was incest. Uh, and so this became the symbol of secrets right through the, um, uh, right through, uh, the Knights Templar. Uh, when the Knights Templar wanted to mark a document as secret, they had um, what had been sort of taken from these uh, Egyptian ideas of unity of two sides uh, and uh, essentially a cult of Ra through the Greeks and then used that as their symbol. And this this was um, I, 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 um Sorry, I've, 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 I've lost what the name. Was, really. What was the symbol? Abraxas. Abraxas. Mm. Uh, Abrasax. Uh, mm -hmm. middle, middle Ages. They got confused about Greeks. Turn. And what was the symbol? Okay, so what the symbol was originally was a picture of Ra with two snakes to, next to him. Mm -hmm. uh, and then those snakes joined with Ra to become two snakes with Ra coming out of the middle. Basically, this is the same symbol that we have for um, uh, uh, Starbucks. Uh, so, so you have the mermaid with the two snakes. Uh -huh. it, it, it was like that, the joining of two things. Mm. Uh, and that this joined um, symbol was the origin of magic, was the origin of everything, and was also the symbol for secrecy, this, this joining together of, of, of concepts, of ideas, and then the thing that everything then progressed from, the unknown joined thing at the very beginning. Um, by the time this got... Uh, let's go back a little bit again. To, yeah. We'll go back to Alexandria for a moment. So, <laughs> okay. So, so, so these concepts were coming out of early Gnostic Christianity, mm. uh, and the idea of um, maybe the universe wasn't one thing but was two things. 
And so the Gnostics were very much into uh, Manichaeism, uh, this, the, the, the idea that there was two worlds, a real world and a spiritual world, mm. a good world and a bad world. Uh, there was a group in Alexandria uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the Gnostic period, so Christian Gnostics, but working in, in an uh, Egyptian context, took this symbol of Ra with the two snakes and made um, Abrasax their, their, their main deity. So the idea was the Ouroboros, mm. not the Ouroboros, sorry, the um, uh, the, 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 the Demiurgos, Ouroboros mm -hmm. is yeah. un not unrelated. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Demiurgos had given rise to this division and the Demiurgos' son was Abrasax, i.e. Hathor. And this was basically a way of relating the idea of God with his son, Jesus, mm -hmm. to Egyptian ideas of mm -hmm. their gods and their son and uh, Greek things and their gods and their son. Mm -hmm. And the idea of having this actualized uh, uh, thing that had come out of a duality. So in Christianity, we we left behind this idea of duality. It was, it was It was just the father. There was no mother. And... Mary was certainly important, but she herself was not a goddess. Jesus was entirely the same as the Father, entirely part of the God, and this is exactly what the uh, what the uh, Neoplatonists would have thought. Linked, linked by the Trinity. The right. There's no the there's no separation. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's no separation. And so these these were the ideas that had come out of um, out of the Assyrian uh, culture, where you had uh, the god and the energy from the god creating the king who was the personified God on earth. And so that was Jesus, the Holy Ghost, and God above. So that was Asher, the hand of Asher. But it had all started as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a combining of a male-female energy, and now it's devoid of so a female energy. So these are all different ways that cultures have thought about these things. Yeah. Um, by the time it gets to the Middle Ages, you get what are called the Albigensians uh, or the Cathars. And this was a Gnostic group, uh, particularly in southern France, that thought that there was... Um, the world we see around us, which was entirely evil, and a good spiritual world, which was actually made by God. And so by this point, they saw the Demiurgos as essentially demonic, as something evil that had created the world, the physical world that we encounter. I used to love the Gnostics. How did this happen? This be in, the, in, in the late Gnostic world, we'd gone from a... Um, We'd gone from a uh, Greek concept of the origin of the physical world as being good, as being the origin of all good things, as being, uh, you know, arranging out of chaos to by the Middle Ages, everything physical was bad. And so this was a rejection of that sort of female creative principle, or at least the unified creative principle. Uh, and so this had now separated these two things. There was the spiritual world which would be the God before the Demiurgos that created our spirits, our souls, and we were trying to return to him. Uh, and then there was the Demiurgos, which created the real world, which we should reject and uh, avoid procreation, avoid uh, producing children. And so they, they, they uh, like the Essenes, encouraged uh, being um, uh, you know, celibate, uh, but only only after you'd reproduce. So they, they understood that there was, reproduction was still important. So this, this kind of movement... Um, from uh, a, a understanding of, uh, of, of, of gender being um, both defined but also unified together and that procreation comes out of this unification and out of this blending and mixing uh, and that um, all energy and magic and you know, potential comes from the blending of opposites as of pluses and minuses um, uh, runs right through I, I, I think um, uh, human history, right from the very beginning of the caves, uh, right on down through. And one of the interesting things um, that I've you know, recently come to understand is uh, how this relates to um, alchemy. Uh, we often think of alchemy as uh, a bunch of crazy people trying to make gold. Um, and turn at least that's the way it's portrayed. In that's certainly the way it's portrayed. It's the way I learned it when I was uh, studying philosophy. Uh, it was the idea is um, if you live in a Catholic world where uh, the wafer that you eat is the actual body of Christ, um, you have what's called transubstantiation. 
the substance of the wafer is part of the substance of God himself. And so you're actually eating God when you eat yeah, that I've wafer. Never, I've never really been able to be cool with that because that's when you think it through, it's a little creepy. But anyway, I, I, I one easy way to be think about it is nothing is not God and God is infinite. So everything has all of God in it, but that's a separate thing. Well, you, yes. And that does something else entirely. Does something else entirely. We could go there, but that's like any piece of infinity is still infinity. Let's Let's have that conversation. (laughs) A different time. Uh, So uh, we, we thought that um, was that alchemy was all about that, that you take, you take these um, accidents is what the medieval philosophers called them. Accidents are what you would call color or, you know, temperature or all the things that we notice about a thing, right? <laughs> Smell, the things you can touch, the, the hard surface or the soft surface. These are what they would call accidents. And then substance is the actual thing that has these accidental qualities. This is how the medievals thought about it. Accidents are essentially what's manifest from a thing. Right. So the way transubstantiation works is it keeps the accidents the same. That wafer doesn't taste any better. And you've just changed the substances <laughs> what a beautiful what a beautiful way to make anything happen to make yeah exactly to make anything happen and so the way alchemy is generally described is it's a spiritual approach to magic where you try and turn things that have lesser qualities into things that have quite higher qualities in the same way that the wafer is transformed into god and so you could just instead of changing the substance maybe you can change the accidents without actually having to change anything. But but isn't isn't the I mean I I don't know anything about this, but isn't the wafer isn't the whole point of that it seems to me that the wafer is changed into god in your mind. No. There, it's no, real. It's, it's real. It's, it's real. It's actually really real. It's really real. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. Yes, exactly. Which is why it's used in black magic, a a a, a consecrated wafer is more important than just a wafer. You can't just steal a wafer. You have to get one that's already been blessed if you then want to do your black magic and normally using the wafer. normally blessed and then immediately ingested. Exactly, right. But if you want to really, um, uh, you know, be, huh. uh, have apostasy, stand against God, then you have to get something that actually is God and that's a wafer. And you steal one of those, now, now you got something you can work with your black magic. Fascinating, fascinating. Yeah, okay, anyway. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. So, so, so there, there, there's, there's, there's this huge world of trying to manipulate these sort of potential um, uh, uh, deities before things actually come, before there are the accidents, before the division, before you have hot and cold, male and female, left and right, you have this unified whole from which anything can be produced. And so that is why you can combine the substance of a wafer and the substance of God because you have, everything is one thing, essentially. And this is what the alchemists were trying to work with. They're like, well, I, since everything is one thing, I can turn lead into gold because it's just a, a, like a, just make it a little bit shinier and more yellow and suddenly I have gold. Change the accidents. Change the accidents. Of the lead and make it Yeah, and I don't have to really accidents. change anything at all. Um, but when you actually look at uh, alchemical texts, that wasn't really their project. They were definitely interested in gold, but they saw gold as um, gold and silver as these sort of... Um, exemplars of the sun and the moon, of male and female, of the two powers that in magic you put together to make something new. So just like the, uh, the, the magic in the caves was taking the male and the female to produce something new, either through hunting magic, producing more animals to hunt, or producing something new in the culture, making, making uh, a, a unified group of male and females coming together to make something new. Um, this this was happening, um, you know, in 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 the in the in the alchemical sense of you would take silver and gold and you would mix it with acids and mercury, and these were seen as the as as the as the king and the queen, the mother and the father dying, rotting. This was dissolving in acids, and then the mercury. Um, Mercury was always associated with uh, Hermes, Mercury, the goddess, the god of, 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 um, of communication, of carrying things across something. You know, if we think about something as trans, Mercury is the one that brings things across. Mercury was often seen as um, 
not entirely male, but having a mixture, hermaphrodite, uh, Hermes and Aphrodite together forming this, this whole as a hermaphrodite. So this idea of transformation, of being trans, was directly related to the substance mercury. And so you would put mercury uh, in an acid bath of gold and silver, and you would get what's called a mercury amalgam. Mercury amalgams uh, take metals, and they basically, it looks like something growing out of the metal. Yes, we'll have to, we'll have to post links to this. Because yeah, yeah. It's, you have to see it. You have to see it. Uh, it's easier with, with, with aluminum. Uh, a mercury aluminum amalgam is, is amazing. It grows in real time. But they were making things that would have been moving on their own. They would have appeared to be alive and they would have grown. And so the idea is that the, the, the king and the queen would enter their bed. They would die. They would rot. And from them would grow this new thing that was bigger and more productive than the beginning. So if you were greedy, it meant you got more gold and silver. But if you were thinking about it in a spiritual sense, it was this, this unification of, um, of, of the gold and silver, of the king and queen, that produced this new thing that was more than what you started with. I'm sure in that day and age, if you had shown me that, you could have sold me anything after that. Oh, it moved anything. and grew yeah. anything and was made of metal. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. I would have been like, yeah, you know stuff. Exactly. <laughs> so this is why alchemy was this long term project. And it was always. But, but what you're saying is they weren't actually trying to turn lead into gold. They were trying to spiritually improve what the world themselves. Yes. each other Through through a unification of male and female that would produce this new thing, the, 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 the true being that was this com combination. Did they know that this was a parlor trick or did they think they were creating something for the world? Both by, by let's say the, 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 the early 17th century, it was already seen as a parlor trick by people who knew what was going on. But Newton was very involved in this. He absolutely believed in these things. And he was a very serious person. He was inventing physics and, and math, basically. You know, he was doing calculus. He was also put in charge of the of the mint because he knew when something was gold or not gold. <laughs> uh, he actually got put in prison once when uh, he was... It, it, um, it was, there's this cool thing called the trial of the picks where you where where, where um, they would take all the coins and put them in this big box called the picks and then periodically the coins would be taken out and tested and if the head guy in charge of coins uh, was on trial literally uh, and if if the coins turn out to not be as much silver as they were supposed to he was sent to prison and so Newton got sent to prison because his coins did not pass the the, the trial of the picks and then he had to show them that using his analytical techniques, which were better than theirs, he got the right answer. <laughs> so he was absolutely doing alchemy on these things. He was using mercury to dissolve the silver so that he could then get the pure silver out of it. And he was weighing it before and after, but he was also busy inventing chemistry. So this is when chemistry and alchemy were dividing. But for, for, for Newton, it was absolutely a, a, a all, the whole thing was one project. He was trying to figure out what this cosmos was, what had come from this early undivided world. So everything. What a, what a time that must have been. I know. So so he was trying to recreate the undivided world, this, this gold and silver chemically. He was trying to understand when things were mixed together, what happens when you divide them. So he was sending white light through a prism and dividing it into the colors. He's the one that came up with seven colors. It could have been arbitrary. There's either, you know, billions of colors or maybe right. there's three colors. <laughs> right. um, but uh, he said it's seven for the same reason that we have seven notes because uh, eight is infinity. Uh, because you return back to the beginning again, you're at the beginning of the octave. If you're, this is coming from Pythagorean stuff, which is directly related to this Orphic mystery that we are talking about, the Pythagoreans and the Orphic mysteries. Pythagoreans were working with the square root of two. Okay, you can't, there is no answer to the square root of two. It's like pi. It's something that goes on forever. And if you're trying to find the hypotenuse because you're Pythagoreans, <laughs> you're likely to wind up with the square root of two in your problem. And then this was a central secret mystery for them. This was something that could not be divided. It was their undivided whole, was these uh, things that, that had no end to them. So these were all things that we've been working on through from the very beginning and originally were seen as 
uh, bringing genders together into this new magical being or starting with a magical being, the, the demiurgos, and then the separation of everything. So you get meaning and power from the separation and from bringing things back together. And this has absolutely been central to our, our uh, consciousness right from the very beginning. It's, it's central to everything we've done. Um, there, 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 were, there were a lot of sort of things where during the Middle Ages, we started trying to move into a purely patri uh, patriarchal approach to things. And uh, I think this is what has uh, caused um, some of the problems, but also possibly some of the, uh, the power of our civilization, that through division, you create energy. By separating the two energies, you get this, 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 this power. Uh, but by drawing lines between things, you also create uh, separations and, and, and uh, conflict. But as soon as you draw a line between something, you also get weaknesses. You get weaknesses. Yeah. yeah, you draw you draw a line through a country with the Mason Dixon line, and suddenly you have a civil war. Well, not suddenly, but eventually you have a civil mm -hmm. war. Uh, you know, this is this is what Pynchon was talking about uh, when 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 he was talking about um, um, the book Mason Dixon was that the simple drawing of a line through something creates. Uh, eventual conflict and, and problems. You build a wall, it's even worse. Mm -hmm. um, so these, these are things we're constantly experiencing in our psyche. Uh, it's, it's something where um, we always have been striving for, you know, certainly a lot of our recent history to create strict walls between the genders. It's something that most religions have rules for who sits where, who wears what clothing, how you act in a certain way to make sure these genders never get together and never blend. Uh, and then when they actually do, when, when, when there's actual biological sex, it's very carefully regulated, has to be inside a marriage, approved by the church or the religion, has to be uh, controlled in some way. Uh, and all of, all of these things are efforts to deal with what has been um, this, 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 this sort of through line through the, the, the growth of consciousness is the idea of, of the unification of everything, the splitting apart of everything, and then the reunification of things, perhaps at a higher level. You know, this, this, is, this is something we see in many of our philosophies. Uh, even Khaldun talked about this kind of thing, uh, the, the, the sort of spiral of history. Uh, it's the dialectic. It's 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 the the, the 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 thesis antithesis comes together to form to form a thesis, and then you have a new uh, thesis antithesis. This is central to everything we have always been doing, uh, and um, you can sort of see where you have the dark forces are when you want things to be as extreme as possible at the two different sides, and never having any mixing again. Uh, whereas in in my opinion, it's 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 when you have things coming together. Uh, that you have um, you know, life and joy and pleasure and all of the good things of the world is 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 coming from these potentials coming together. Uh, you know, the Nazis were really into these things um, in both reality. They really, really didn't like some groups of people and wanted to separate them and define them and get rid of them and destroy them so there would be no unity. Uh, but they also saw this in an alchemical sense. They, they, they definitely were looking at symbols, yes. ancient symbols, ideas of the sun, uh, of, uh, of uh, they talked about the black sun. They talked about these things that are right out of alchemy. And they always chose the evil symbols. They always had, you know, the, the, the symbol of lightning and destruction or the skull. Uh, the black sun in alchemy was the... Was the, the Somewhat related to the Albigensian uh, Cathar idea of this is this is the unreal. This is the um, this is the sun that we see, but not the true spiritual sun. The black sun that the the, the um, Nazis worshipped in alchemy was seen as as the symbol of everything bad and impure and containing. Uh, contamination from uh, from matter, whereas the spiritual sun, the true spiritual sun, the higher sun, had no contamination from the matter. Um, so all of these things, even even when I'm talking about evil people trying to do separation, I've now created a separation between their philosophy and another philosophy. Mm -hmm. Every time we talk about things, we're talking about unity and separations. It's male and female. It's gender. It's light and dark. It's all of these metaphors that we use that are also real things in our life. It's the positive and negative electricity. It's the top and the bottom of the hill. It's hot and cold. All of these things are needed to make anything happen in the world. So, you know, it's, it's not just 
uh, biology that has uh, both strict gender roles, but also um, flexible gender roles. And they must be flexible for biology to work, right? You have to have ways to change um, how you're interacting with your world if your species is to survive. But you also have to have rules but or you have to nothing have, will work. Exactly. And so these rules must be flexible and related to the world you're living in. And these rules can lead you astray. So that's what we're starting out with, 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 the, uh, with the orcas. They have very strict rules that they can no longer leave behind that are going to probably make that population extinct in the future uh, because they can't, they can't get past their own gender roles. Uh, and this this is why I'm, I'm I'm terribly optimistic about the flexibility of our culture, and I'm terribly pessimistic about our lack of flexibility. That we 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 get stuck in these ways of thinking about things where we can't um, you know we 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 can't move forward because we're stuck in our particular sets of rules. Uh, and the, the 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 act of creation and destruction is always the the, the bringing these things together and, and and dissolving them. It's 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 the center for um, it's the central concepts uh, in 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 uh, what people who are are into magic these days are are into. They talk about um, coagulation and dissolution, uh, the the bringing together and 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 the separation. This is this is where you know all energy and movement comes from. So anyway, I just wanted to <laughs> go through a history of 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 a little bit of magic and alchemy and and relate it to what we've been talking about with gender roles and understanding the importance of separation and the importance of unity and why some people cling to the separation won't let go and why uh I I I think the ability to rethink uh and come up with new ways of combining things really are the future of, of our civilization. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would agree with you. The, the, the question is, are we, are we in an, are we in a period right now where we are going to have a failure to proceed? Like it, it feels like we are being ripped apart at this very moment around the world between in these forces of, do we stay separate? And keep pulling ourselves apart, or do we find other way? Like, do we get get back to what we were trying to do before? And history says we're going to be doing both of these things at the same time. I'm worried because sometimes you can do the wrong thing for a thousand years, and that would be the Middle Ages. Yeah, well, I mean, it it, it kind of I'm 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 having, you know, I'm both pessimistic and optimistic as you were saying. But if if we lose democracy here, it, we're looking at <laughs> some dark ages. But we're very much in a period of flux, um, obviously nationally. Uh, and I, you know, we were just discussing this. There, there, there could be a collapse of of right wing irrational republicanism could collapse at any moment, yeah, or yeah. it could be triumphant, or or it could and we're be, definitely yeah. at an inflection point. But you know, the whole world is at an inflection point via population, right? So we we we've been we were approaching a population bomb where it was going to explode. We talked about uh, R versus K theory yeah. and how now the population is shrinking. Yeah. We're about to look at another kind of demographic disaster. A shrinking population does not work with capitalism. You know, yeah. So, so, so we're we're in, in many ways at an inflection point where we can see the future dimly, but we are not necessarily dealing with it. It's a lot like global warming. You know, we we we've we've known about global warming since the fifties. And we're only just beginning to get electric yeah, cars well, we, now. Yeah, well, we thought we might be forced into a situation due due to this peak oil, which seemed to just poof evaporate as we are generating more oil than we ever have in our history. Well, yeah, I mean, this is this, 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 that capitalism predicts that would happen, and it always had that peak oil would go away. That was yes. predicted. Yes, yeah, Cap it was hoped for from capitalistic theory, um, and and and. There, there's been predictions for things like peak oil many times in the past, and always it's the same answer. There's some sort of technological change, or there's a movement. Um, the one I'm really excited right now is hydrogen, uh, and yeah. and you know talk talk about things coming together and you know deities and all this kind of stuff. You've got, in my opinion, Gaia is is making hydrogen for us. You have you have yeah, water yeah, yeah. water unifying with rocks to yeah, give us the yeah, hydrogen we need for yeah. for our, for our, you know our entire economy. 
Um, I think it may well be alive. Many of these processes I mean, are I think, done by I bacteria. Think, but, but again, I mean, what you're talking about requires a severe coming together because we yes. would need to completely change the way we get our energy. And, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we were talking about Taoism. I mean, now, now, we're, now we're talking about, um, uh, uh, you know, the I Ching and acceptance of change and uh, the idea of, um, you know, the, the, the wheel is always turning. Uh, and that when you fight against change, you're going to you're going to be losing, uh, and that's what reactionaries do I mean, is, is always this, trying to. This gets back to something that you said in an earlier podcast, but that we've been talking about for years is that a whole for something like this, like a whole bunch of people need to die. Like, I, I, <laughs> I mean, I mean, of old age, if nothing else, like there's there's nothing nothing like that will change anytime soon until right. all I these mean, people who we, make that shit happen stop. Yeah, we often think of ourselves as as rational actors and that uh, science advances because we discover something new and then that new discovery convinces everyone else. But there are people who pointed out that very often it's when the old guard retires or and or dies. Yeah. And that that's really how progress happens. Yeah. Even in the scientific world. I mean, I was I was I was many, many years ago, I was tutoring this. this I was teaching this gentleman from China who had emigrated to the United States and he specifically told us, why did you leave? And he said, because I can't move up and I can't make any changes. I, I worked and worked and and the people above me won't let anybody do anything. And it isn't until somebody dies that people can move up and I can't live like that. And I left for opportunity. He literally said, yeah, it's not until people above him. So die. this this is this is the creative destruction process. This is why capitalism has a lot going for it, because it has built into it this idea of creation and destruction and something new coming out of it. But it is also a system that needs to be governed and we tend to think of it as a goal in itself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, this, this, this is a, a problem that we have, that where we, we start seeing what should be a process as a goal. Uh, and you know what yeah. should be the goal is happiness and abundance for us all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and what is actually kind of the goal it. is our goal is to let co capitalism run over us all like a tank. Well, the the you know the 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 eloquent way that you that you describe this constant desire to pull apart and and come together just highly. <laughs> illustrates what an inflection point we're at right now. It's, yeah, it's, this, this, it's, this, this is our moment in time. And it, it, it's absolutely glass, glass half full, glass half empty. But the, what it's full of and what it's empty of are really good and bad. And, it, and, and it, yeah, we're, we're, we're at a very exciting and distressing but interesting moment. And a moment that, that not every generation has to or yeah. gets to live yeah. through. I'm, I'm <laughs> highly optimistic of what, where we'll be in a thousand years I'm really worried about where we'll be in 50 years. We have kids, man. That sucks. <laughs> I know, I know. But you know, it, it could it could all be better next year. I mean, I mean, we could be done with Trump and everything by next year. I find that highly <laughs> win or lose. I find that highly unlikely, but I, I I'll go with it. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Josh. That was Thank fascinating. You,